Hey, can we take a break from Ezra this morning for just a moment? Uh, I want to share something that's been on my heart for uh, some time now. Last week, Preston uh, re-sparked my interest in sharing it with you. In the midst of worship, he, uh, he mentioned a familiar story. Maybe you caught it. Maybe you missed it. Uh, he talked about David and David's dignity. And uh, this morning, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to show you that story. I'd like to tell it to you, if you will, and hopefully give you just a little bit of commentary on the story that might help to uh, inform you a little bit, a little bit of the background on the story. In turn, I hope that it informs our worship, and we are going to wrap up this morning with worship and song. So right now, would you grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6, Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 6. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, David is king of Israel. Before David is king of Israel, we have a king named Saul. Saul, well, he had lots of issues, and I, I have neither the time or interest this morning to unpack all of Saul's issues. But in 2 Samuel 6, it's important to remember that under the reign of King Saul, the Ark of the Covenant, that which stood for the nation of Israel as the presence place of God, where the Shekinah glory of God, where God's glory rested among his people, that ark, that seat, that mercy seat that held Aaron's rod, that held the commandments, that held uh, bread from the wilderness wanderings, that, that ark, that holy thing that for Israel marked God with us, it had been lost under the reign of Saul. Not a good commentary for your kingship, right? that you lost the token mark of the presence of God, the one true God, it's gone. And you understand that with that goes the presence of God for the nation of Israel and the blessing, etc., etc. So under Saul it was gone. In 2 Samuel 6, shortly after David came, reuniting that relationship, if you will. Great, great story. This story is famous because uh, not because of the entire chapter, but because of a few verses towards the end. Uh, there's a book out uh, on leading worship. It's a, a handbook for worship leading. Chapter 9 of this book uh, is a model for worship, dancing in your underpants. Right? That's the title of it. A model for worship. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now, some of you know this story, all right? Let me, let me summarize it for you. As David is having the ark brought back, he is excited. And he begins to rejoice before the Lord. Now, keep that phrase in mind. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, the phrase, before the Lord, is mentioned at least six times that I can count in 23 verses. Anytime you see that amount of repetitiveness, the author would have you note that phrase. So we're to understand in the context that what David does here, he does in the presence of the Lord. He does before the Lord. Now what does he do? The story goes on to tell us in 2 Samuel 6 that David danced. Right on. That's good. But that's really not the, that's really not the major focus of the author, I believe. The major focus of the author told us that David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. Now in verse 20, 
after the celebration is over, the Ark of the Covenant is in its right place. David has blessed the people. He goes home. And his wife, Michal, says this, who is, by the way, the daughter of Saul. So you can just imagine what her picture of a king should be. Now that she's married to the king, she has this presupposition of how a king should act, given that her father was a king, a dignified king, in his own eyes, at least. But when David, verse 20, returned to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. Understand that that is a rebuke. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. Do you hear the contempt in those words from the wife of David? What are you doing, you fool? Earlier in the story, it says that she had been... I believe in part because she had, her, she had her preconceived idea of what the king should look like and how he should act and what he should do. And as a display of that, what he should wear. The, the outer garments, the vestments of a king, what does that look like? She has this idea in her head. What happens here is that David... Understanding that he is in the presence now of God, that the presence of the one true God of his people, the people that have been given to his charge by that God, that God's presence is now back, united with his people where it should be. And it overwhelms him. The presence of God overwhelms him. His heart is full In that moment, David does something that was unbecoming of a king. Verse 14 says that he danced with all his might before the Lord. It goes on to say, wearing only a linen ephod. A linen ephod could be a reference not only to the undergarments that David would wear under his uh, dignified kingly garments, But it's also well known in the Old Testament as the the token garment of those who would minister to God in the tabernacle and later on down the road in the temple. Go into and explaining what a linen ephod represented. Uh, It it, it represented a a lot. Uh, It represented simplicity. It represented purity. Uh, There's there's much in that. And I'll not go deep into that this morning. But here's what you need to understand. And I think here is the the emphasis of the context of this chapter, and it's the reason that Michal had a problem with her husband, the king. When it says that he uncovered himself, uh, it's not an image that David got naked. Every now and then as I'm studying up for a message, I'll, I'll simply Google part of the verse or part of the topic or some, some part of what is going to be the message for the Sunday and I just, I'm always curious to see what just pops up when I Google that. And so I Googled uh, David dances before the Lord. And I read some different blogs from just random people, not scholars, not theologians, just different blogs of people giving their opinion on this. And I was amazed to see how many people uh, truly believe that David danced naked was the term they used before the Lord. 
And it comes from this verse where his wife says that you uncovered yourself before, before everyone, before the servants of your maids. It, it's, it's not right. Well, the truth is that he, he wasn't naked. And perhaps he wasn't even in his underwear. He was in this linen ink and authority. His dignified garments were the garments that were the customary garments of the king, the head honcho, the man in charge, the commander-in-chief, the CEO. You getting the picture? The top dog. And he wore these clothes and it marked his own dignity because of his position. But what happens? David, in the presence of a God who had been for many years afar off from his people, the presence had returned. And before the Lord, before the Lord, before the Lord, there was nothing important, nothing significant about David's own dignity, about his own vestige. So Michal doesn't doesn't rebuke him because he had necessarily exposed himself, his physical self. What he exposed was his humanity, his humility. And a king doesn't do that. A king is a, is a place of position, rank. He's not a commoner. He's not one of us. Interesting, however, David, in the presence of God, says, you know what? This stuff, none of these other facades, none of these accoutrements, none of these outer garments that would display who I might be, i.e. His, his own dignity, his own position and rank, none of these things are at all important. And I will not let them stand between me and the God I am worshiping. David humbled himself. David humiliated himself, if you will. It was of no consequence to David that he was not looked upon as a king in this moment. The only thing that mattered to David in this moment was being in the presence of a holy God. Now, this passage is often used, and uh, I don't totally disagree. This passage is often used to teach to the point of our freedom in worship, our freedom before the Lord. Uh, I think the greater point of this passage, however, is the thing that God noted about King David. As we remember King right? That's how God saw David. In the midst of all his sin, in the midst of all his failures, there was something about David that made him a man after God's own heart. I've often wondered, what exactly does that mean, to be after God's own heart? I believe it could mean two things. One, it could mean that he was after, meaning he was in the pattern of God's heart, meaning his heart was on the same page, it was one in the same, it was cut from the same cloth, if you will, as the heart of God. He was in tune with the heart of God. You know what else I think it means? I think it means that he was after the heart of God. The heart of David was to chase the heart of God. He was after God. 
His desire was God and God alone. Every time in Scripture, in the story of David's life, that you see that he recognizes his sin, you find immediate repentance. Wherever his life doesn't line up, he immediately attempts as best he can to get his life back in line. I think that's what it means to have a heart after God. That's how God chooses to remember David. So the, the emphasis that I want to challenge us with this morning is not so much that David had a freedom before God that he was able to dance in either his underwear or this priestly God of the Lord, that there was nothing that he would not do. David's response to his wife is this. Let me read it to you in verse 21. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord. This thing that you rebuke me for, number one, it was, understand, it was, it was in the presence of God. I was, I was before the Lord. Can you blame me? David says, while in the presence of God, to throw off my own dignity, to throw off anything that would draw attention to me and just be humiliated, in the presence of God, it was before the Lord. There's a little, uh, little jab here, I believe. This Lord, He is the one who chose me above your father, who is Saul, and above all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, he says, after a little bit of sarcasm, therefore I will celebrate before the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord. In verse 22, he goes on to say, I will be, my translation says, more lightly esteemed. My prayer for you, uh, I think what has been prompting me to talk with you about this for many weeks now, is that uh, my, my hope for us is that we cultivate this heart, this heart that David had. In particular, this heart that would be willing to move anything out of the way that comes between you in a pure worship of the God who is present. For David, Preston and I were talking about this in the office before, before we got started. For David, there was always this question of where is the presence of God? It, it, God was where the ark was. And he wasn't there for a good, good amount of time. Saul had lost that. Now, now it's back. And there's always this concern of, is the presence of God going to be with us or not? For us who are believers... Can I tell you, we don't have that question mark. God lives in our hearts. Preston, Preston noted, how much more then should this heart of David be our heart? This heart of complete abandonment, no regard for our own dignity, no regard for anything that would hold us back, that would get between us and the worship of a holy God. I have a prayer for our church, a prayer of seriousness, maybe is a good way to say it. In times of life and death, there is a reality that's not always present with us. You following me? In times of life and death, in the presence, he forgot to do his homework. He forgot to say, does God have any word? Does he have any instructions on how we move this thing? And he put it on a cart. 
And he starts to bring it down this hill because it was in this man's house who lived up on a hill and began to bring it down. And the guys who had the cart, all well-meaning, they get to this place and it's a rough spot and the ark starts to shake. And this one dude, Uzzah, puts his hand out to secure the ark. Good idea, right? Not at all. See, if David would have done his homework, he would have known that there was a specific way that the ark was being transported. There was a there was there was a specific a specific order to doing this. There were there were these little ringlets on the side, and there was these special poles that were supposed to go in there, and they had to be these gold-plated poles, and they had to be a certain length, and certain people had to carry the poles, and they were never to touch the ark. They were only to touch the poles, and they were to carry it on a certain shoulder. All these things David didn't know. Second Chronicles kind of gives us a little insight into the story that. This guy, Uzzah, he dies. In the process of trying to bring back the presence of God, they don't do it God's way, and he, and he pays the ultimate penalty. And in the context of life and death situation, I think David is sobered. And so he gets up the courage, I think, and he says, you know what, we've got to do this thing. Second Chronicles, First Chronicles tells us the... Uh, he gets some wise counsel on how this thing's supposed to be moved, and he goes out and he does it the right way. Now, the context, that is the life and death context, the holiness of this God, the seriousness of this God. How do we approach him? How do we, how do we, how do we understand the gravity and the weight of his presence? David, David's seen it. He's watched, he's watched a man just reach out to keep the ark from falling. And God broke out against him. And he took his life. It's in that sobriety, that life and death situation, that now when David gets the ark and he approaches it the right way, and they're bringing it into town, we find David throwing off, throwing off the garments of his own pride, throwing off the garments of his own prestige, throwing off the garments of his own, uh, of his own, what's the word I'm looking for? It's another P word. I lost it. David is willing to get rid of it all. He has this new sobriety about him. This is a holy God. In the presence of a holy God, it is a life and death he doesn't care what his own wife might think. He doesn't care what the rest of his people think. He does what the Lord would have him do in that moment. In the presence of God, the heart of David is to do and be concerned primarily about what would God have of me in this moment. All right, so what does that mean to us? I'm praying that that become our heart. I'm praying that it become your heart. That as we gather in worship, as we gather as a congregation who have the presence of God in our own hearts, who have in some mysterious way as we gather together the promise of a holy God that He will be in our midst, as we have, as Scripture promises us, uh, this this mysterious promise that where we praise Him, He will inhabit that praise. He will live there. He will dwell there. He will, he will some, some strange way, He will be present. 
With that in mind, as we, as we come into this place and we gather as a congregation, would you, would you ask God to give you a heart that is like David's, that there be no pretense. That's the word I was looking for. There be no pretense. Created us all differently. We have different personalities, different temperaments. We display emotion differently. Okay? Here is my challenge to you. Would you examine yourself? Examine your own heart. Ask yourself, is this the way that God has truly created me? Is that a part of how He has shaped me and formed me? And therefore my expressions of of, uh, gratitude and worship before this holy God in His presence, they, they look like this. If that's the case, praise God. But would you ask yourself in your heart, is it something else? Is there a pretense? Is it a matter of pride that I would not go this far, I would not do this thing in the presence of God if prompted by the Spirit of God because I would be more concerned about what the neighbor sitting next to me in the chair might think, what someone across the aisle might think. Have the heart of God. Ask God to make clear to you Is this truly how God has created you? Praise God. But is there any hint of your own pride? Is there any hint of pretense in you that won't drop that that facade, that won't drop that outer garment, that won't drop that that mask, perhaps? Not the presence of God. All that stuff goes out the window. Listen to me now. All that stuff goes out the window. When God enters the building, you can't give me the excuse that this is just the way I am. I'm not an emotional guy. I'm not, you know, I don't cry when I watch Bambi. Uh, There are no more excuses in the presence of God. Now, that's, that's not to say that that my desire or Preston's desire, that our church's desire, is that you begin to manufacture some outward display of your worship. That's not what I'm asking for. I could care less whether you raise your hands. I could care less whether you cry. I care less whether you dance like David. That's not the point. The point is to have a heart like David so that when God prompts you, when God stirs your spirit, when you see the presence of God, when you see His holiness for what it truly is, when you are sobered by the reality of how holy He is, you are free to move in any direction that He would have you move and respond in any way He would have you respond, despite who's around, who's watching, or what rank or position you might hold. All that goes out the window. It's you and God that you can't sing, that the words won't come out because of the heaviness of God's grace and mercy, His goodness. Whatever it is, my challenge to us this morning, no matter who we are, is be willing, be willing, be ready, be ready to let everything else go. One day, we will we will stand before God face to face. Can you imagine? It won't just be His Spirit in our hearts. 
we will stand before this holy God. If you read scripture, you'll understand the weight of that. You'll understand uh, the fear that we should have in that. One day we will stand before this, this holy creator of everything that we see. Scripture says that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. That God is exactly as holy as Scripture has told us he is. The inference is that one day it's going to happen. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. All pre-thinking of you. It won't matter. What we do here I believe in some sense is, uh, is practice for eternity. Now, again, this is not a message to attack those of you who never find yourselves with hands raised, who never, never find yourselves wanting to dance before the Lord, to do something demonstrative, something elaborate like that. Will you do what God asks you to do no matter what it is. That's all we can ask. If that heart is there, if that heart becomes predominant in the individuals of our collective body, if that heart becomes predominant in our church, I have no doubt that God will get everything He wants out of us. I'm not asking you to dance like David. I'm asking you to have the heart that caused David to drop his dignified robe, be humiliated with no concern, with no concern for his opening our hearts to you. And Father, whether we stand, whether we sit, whether we dance, whether we sing, whether we weep, whether we fall to our knees, whether we fly in our hearts. It is of no concern to this pastor. The cry of this shepherd's heart for this flock is that they have a heart like David's, a heart after yours, willing to respond to your holiness in whatever way whatever way you prompt. Freedom is contagious, church. As you as you sit there, let me say one final word to our men. To the men who called this church home. Um, it is in part a mystery to me. But there is something looking for men who will set pretense aside. God's looking for men who will be abandoned in the congregation. Who will give him whatever he asks for who will dance if God says dance, 
who will cry if God says weep. Who will walk the aisle to the altar and fall on their knees if God so leads. Who will sit when others stand. Who will will be not concerned for their own reputation. But will be primarily concerned with the heart of God. Men of Cornerstone, I'm begging you to to search your hearts. Ask yourself whether or not you are in that place where you'll give God exactly what He wants, no matter what it means or what it looks like. That freedom is contagious. It will infect the entire body. Lord, my prayer is that we have no reservations. No reservations. Nothing would be reserved. Nothing would be held back. Whatever you wrote this about David's dance with all his might. Let your hearts and minds be enraptured, engaged, enthralled, enthused by Him. When your concern for His glory renders you unconcerned about all other things, then you are loving Him with all your might. Why don't you stand? We're going to worship.